Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm excited to be joined today by Joseph Michelli, New York Times bestselling author and CEO of the Michelli Experience. Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks, Simeon. Good to be here. I'm honored to be here. Excellent. So you're here today to talk about how brands can start moving away from one-off transactional relationships with their customers and start building long-lasting connections that ultimately drives more profitable growth. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Yeah, I've been in the space of customer experience before it was called customer experience when we were talking a lot about customer service. Uh, and certainly have grown up uh, with a PhD in organizational development and with a lot of clients struggling to get client get, struggling to get their customers to come back and make referrals. So that's been my journey. Fantastic. Now, as tradition on the show, we always start with a, a story from our from our guests. So I'd love you to share a recent experience where you, as a consumer, have experienced customer love firsthand, and really what that meant to you as a consumer as well. So I've actually written a book about Airbnb, but I had an extraordinary Airbnb host in Italy. Uh, I will always try to book his properties whenever I go back into that region of the world. Just so thoughtful in advance, understanding my preferences, wants, needs, and desires, making sure that he was available at all times, making recommendations at just about the right cadence with an understanding of the things that I preferred to be directed toward. Uh, When there were any issues at all, he was quickly there and he availed a few extra unexpected surprises along the way. I love that example, particularly because when you go away on holiday, that's the time where you want to be relaxing. You don't want to be stressing about anything unnecessary. So just having that that customer love there, particularly in something like a vacation, is just so important and so impactful. So I think that's a great, a great example to get us kicked off. Yeah, I would say one last thing is, you know, most of those folks would think it's a one-time transaction. You know, it's a lucky thing that I booked his property uh, and that would be it. And he didn't have to go that extra mile. But now he has become, uh, you know, a, a community of one for me, at least in terms of property options. Fantastic. Okay. So we're obviously on a podcast called The Business of Customer Love. And I think this idea of customer love is something that people can obviously interpret in different ways. So as someone that has a lot of experience, as you were saying in the introduction there in this field, I'd love to get from you, what in your eyes is customer love really all about? Well, yeah, I keep singing the refrain, what's love got to do with it, got to do with it. Um, And quite frankly, it has everything to do with it. And it's not that squishy, mushy stuff that people think of. And oh, my gosh, here, you know, let's talk about something meaningful in business. It really let's go to MIT professor Peter Senge, who um, really talks about learning organizations. And he defines customer love in the way that I do, which is really a genuine concern for the growth and the development of those who serve. So if we take a genuine concern about the growth and the development of our customers, that's customer love. If we 
we really are only interested in our own growth and development and customers are just an unnecessary, you know, kind of a necessary evil in the transaction, then that's not customer love. That's very self-focused business strategy. It's mercenary and it's really not going to get you far in the long term of the, of the world, the, the way the world works today anyway. Yeah, I think you're spot on. And I think that you're right. This, um, I think when you throw the word love into the equation, obviously it has kind of connotations of something that's a bit mushy, as you were saying, probably something that's quite hard to measure as well. Um, do, you, do you find that these are issues that businesses have when they're trying to kind of get to grips with this idea of putting customer love at the front and center of their business and obviously growing their business that way as well? Yeah, it's just a bunch of self-deception. We all know that people make decisions from an emotional place. We know the limbic system of the brain is really what cements memories into people's minds and that memorable brands are the ones that win in the marketplace. And yet we play this very intellectual game of, you know, I'll just want to satisfy my customers and I don't care about love and what's, you know. So for me, it, it is all part and parcel in, in caring more and demonstrate that caring in a way that resonates with people emotionally so that they're out in the marketplace advocating for your brand. Yeah, and we, we interestingly had a, a neuroscientist on the show the other week, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, this idea of loving, for example, like your family or your friends is just so closely linked to loving a brand, and the two are almost interchangeable. And so if you think about the way that you think about your friends and your family, imagine if you thought that way about a business and how powerful that could be. Well, and, and we see it, you know, I, I, I've consulted for Starbucks over the years, written a couple of books about them. And imagine somebody has never been to a Starbucks and I recommend them to go to Starbucks and they're my friend and they go and they don't like it. And they come back to me and say, I don't know what you're thinking. That was really stupid. The coffee tastes charred to me. And so I look at them and I go, who, who is this person? You know, the brand itself is an emotional truth for me. And now I start wondering about the so-called friend of mine. There's got to be something wrong because they've been disloyal to my emotional relationship with the brand. So we see it all the time where people form the same kind of relationships with brands that they do with people. And they identify with brands just like they do with people. And I think this leads really nicely on to the next point that I wanted to talk to you about. We briefly touched on it in the introduction around this idea of brands struggling with one-off style transactional relationships with their customers. In your experience, how can these type of relationships be damaging to brands? I think that, you know, we get excited about acquisition. The hunt is so great in, in business. Like, just bring me more customers. I want more, 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 more. I want to market more. I want to be more exciting to more people. That's uh, that's very cool stuff and lots of money is spent in marketing and getting eyeballs on your brand. The problem is the, the catch is really critical and the retention of the catch. We know the, the economics of acquiring customers relative to the economics of retaining customers. And yet the excitement, the adrenaline tends to get surged around bringing in that big new customer. Well, if it's a revolving door and many brands have shown they can bring in lots and lots of customers, they just can't keep them. Um, that revolving door gets very expensive on price per lead, price per click. Uh, and over time, you start to realize there's a lot of money to be saved if I can just love on the people that got me here. Uh, it's a lot easier to sell to somebody who said yes once than it is to try to sell to somebody who's never said yes at all. Yeah, this idea of focusing on the customers that you do have rather than the customers you don't have, I think is is quite difficult for brands to maybe get their head around. But as you said, the economics of it stack up, you know, the, the cost of acquiring customers, new customers is so much more. And actually, brands are, are losing money on each new customer they're bringing in. So being able to foster these relationships and really build a base of loyal fans is, is obviously going to be critical for that. 
Yeah, and we've seen brands who've lost money by retaining customers too. There's sometimes you'll have customers in your segment that cost you too much to serve. And so you have to look for optimizing those experiences around what you, you know, what, what retention looks like. But for the most part, my goal is to figure out what is the lifetime value of a customer and how do we attract the customers who not only give us lifetime value in the real sense of repurchase, 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 but also in their referrals. And I think that's a unique and special place to calculate. What is the value of you, not only on what you buy and your repeat business, but what's your value by how many people you bring into the sales funnel and, and bring into the revenue stream? Yeah, absolutely. We had another guest talking about this the other week around, um, you know, as a consumer, you might still love a brand, but for whatever reason, whether it's um, you don't need to necessarily make another purchase or you're not in the position to do it, doesn't mean you love the brand any less. But actually, to your point, you can be bringing value in other ways through your referrals. So you might have spent X with a brand over the course of a year, but through those referrals, you've referred five friends that referred four that referred three. All of a sudden, the economics look completely different and your lifetime value as a customer is, is completely different to what you're spending with the brand purely. Absolutely. And, and just there's so much information out there. The very fact that somebody who you trust tells you, says the name of the brand to you has such cachet in a marketplace where there's such puffery uh, in a marketplace where we, we just don't know where to turn to get a true north on whether a brand's worthy of our attention or not. So to have someone be willing to do that, even if they're not in a position to repurchase because you've satiated their need for the product. Uh, yeah, that that's a big thing to have in your corner. So we've already started to cover this a little bit, but maybe to go into a little bit more detail, in, in your opinion, why is it so important for brands to be able to identify and nurture their biggest fans? And, and what impact have you seen that having on companies when they're able to do that effectively? Yeah, well, your, your fans are your sales force. I mean, they are an extension of your sales force. They're an extension of your marketing. They're the antidote to any negative information that goes into the marketplace. They are the deposits in the reservoir of trust that you're going to need to take out at times over the course of your career. So if you don't understand that, then you're just kind of, you're, you're, you're pushing a string, really. You, you don't have the understanding of what it takes to really supercharge your marketing efforts. So for me, getting a loyal fan base, understanding who they are, understanding the behaviors that make them who they are. And they're not all the same. There are super fans who are super purchasers. There are super fans who are super referrers, right? There are hybrids, people who purchase a lot and refer a lot. And, and there are people who are just emotionally engaged with your brand who may be on the sidelines for a purchase right now, but they're saying really good things about you in social media, even though they're not actually you know, recommending people in a classic sense. Um, so just getting your arms around all of the data points of how people are inter interfacing with your brand, their levels of engagement that speak to, to who they are so that you can speak to them as they are. Totally. And I think it comes back to the point you made earlier around um, there can be costs associated with retaining customers as well as acquiring customers and being able to understand who those customers are that you need to focus on and you need to grow because they're not all going to be like that. The reality is there's going to be customers in your base that just aren't the right fit for your business and ultimately will end up costing you money. But those super fans that are not only purchasing but referring as well and bringing in those new customers are those ones, to your point, that you want to wrap your arms around and really grow and nurture. Yeah, I think there's so many things you, that we should be looking at. Like, do we have a signal with our customers or have we lost the signal? 
if we have a signal that means they're probably more engaged with us and more likely to do the things that'll help our brand, do customers view us as they can't imagine a world without us? If we get to a point in people's minds where they really can't imagine a world without us, they're going to want to make sure that we're in business so they can use us whenever they need us again, whether they need us again tomorrow because it's a routine purchase or they need us again in two years because it's an infrequent purchase. The very fact that they perceive themselves as wanting you to be in the world as an offering uh, that they can consider the next time they need you. Those types of data points we should be looking at and leveraging all of that to know how do we interact with them? Because I'm going to interact differently with somebody who's a regular frequent purchaser than somebody who's just engaged with the brand, but I can't tell if they're referring. I can't tell what their their positive behaviors are toward me versus somebody who I, who I just got a referral from. And I can reach back out to them and say, thank you. I know you haven't purchased from me for a long time, but I'm so grateful that you encourage someone else to do so. Yeah, and as you were saying there, the data is so important to be able to do that. Um, do you have any examples of companies that you've seen kind of utilizing data in, in a really good way to be able to drive, you know, more impactful relationships with their customers? So I have a, a home builder that I work with. And when we first started working with them, they were not asking people, how did you find out about this, right? Uh, and now they make that not just a throwaway question, but a real question. They kind of dive down and say, can we, we really want to thank whoever sent you this way. If, you, if there was a person who did that, can you please let us know? They get to that. They've set KPIs around the percentage of new people who walk in the door who come from referrals. And, and that really... It's an interesting uh, operation, right? Because now we know who, and now we're trying to reverse engineer what did we do for the person who referred us to make sure that we can create that same process again for others who come in the door. Um, so, and and we're just very actively tracking the whole referral network. We're grooming and nurturing that network. We're giving them special offers. Uh, we're getting them as insiders into our product development. So they're kind of co-creating the future of the brand with us. It's been exciting to watch. And they've steadily moved up on a KPI that some people tell me is impossible to do. Percentage of new customers from referrals, they're coming up on 30%. So you know, about one out of every three people who walk in the door is a result of a referral. That's money you didn't have to spend for advertising or the money you spent for advertising lands on very fertile ground thanks to that, that kind of referral community. I love this idea of brands treating their biggest referrers as their VIP customers. So not necessarily the ones that are just spending the most, which I think typically a lot of brands will tend to do, but the ones that are bringing those new customers, as you said, through the door. And that example of them actually kind of being part of the future as well, like bringing them in to discuss, you know, how can we improve? How can we take, you know, our products and services onto the next level as well? Because ultimately they're the ones that are probably going to be going out and shouting about the brand as well. So I think that's a, that's a great example. And, and I have another brand that just on social media, whenever there's a positive comment about them, they pull those people into VIP relationships, right? Uh, we really thank you. We're glad that you found value in our brand, right? And by the way, because we have this relationship, we feel a debt of gratitude. We'd love to have you as an insider in this way or that way. Um, yeah, it just kind of reinforces the behavior you want to see in the world. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other reason that I like that example as well is that I think sometimes people can think that, you know, to create great customer experiences, you need to be an Apple, you need to be a Disney, you need to have something exciting that's cool. But actually creating great customer experience, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, what product you're selling. Um, you know, you have this ability to be able to harness your fans and, and sort of grow your business through your fans through the experiences you're delivering them. Yeah, it's not uncommon for somebody to say something nice about a book of mine. I have no idea why, but uh, they do in social media. It might be on LinkedIn. Then I'll reach back out to them. I'll thank them for the comment. I'll reach back out to them on LinkedIn. And I'll just kind of draw, try to create a, a, a relationship with them so that the next time I send, I have a book, I'm going to send them an advanced copy of that book. Uh, I mean, it's just the way you roll in the world today. Now, I think some people are just too busy to do that because they're chasing the next completely unknown human being and trying to convince them, look at me against the sea of sameness out there. Um, it's a lot easier to get somebody who's already looked at you. That's all. That, that's my main message here. But you also have to be very systematic about how you leverage uh, your awareness of them uh, and be able to activate the right kind of engagement with each of them. Couldn't agree more. We've covered some great ground, Joseph. Um, I guess just to sort of wrap up, um, for anyone that's looking to improve their customer experience strategy and really start to harness their fans and grow their business through their, their biggest advocates, what would you say would be the first steps that businesses should take to really start doing this and, and measuring the impact of this as well? I, I think you really should start to try to understand customer lifetime value. You should do it first on repeat spend. Then you should start expanding your metric of CLTV, looking at other dimensions like referrals and like just positive sentiment on social media. Fantastic. What a great way to finish. Joseph, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Simeon. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.